You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. getting into the Word of God. So why don't you turn with me to Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 through 13. Philippians 4, 10 through 13 is our text today. And if you've been with us, we've been kind of step-by-step going through this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. We're almost done. We're in the last chapter. We're getting towards the end. But there's some really potent and powerful things that Paul is trying to communicate to the local church in that city, but also for us. And so let's go ahead and read Philippians 4, 10 through 13. We're reading out of the NIV. Uh, here's our text today. Paul speaking. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we have together this morning to gather around you, to hear from you. And that's exactly what we desire to do, God, is hear from your word, what your word says to us, how it instructs us, how it leads us. And God, we want to know, as Paul said, he learned the secret of being content in any circumstance. Whatever was happening, he was able to find joy and contentment in Christ. And God, we desire that as well. And so do a deep work in our own hearts this morning. Pray that you'd unify us to be one mind in one accord as the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously, this idea of contentment in every circumstance... Man, when I, when I was thinking about and praying over this, I feel like in so many ways, like, this is Hawaii. Because this is what I mean. Hawaii is the best place on earth you can live. But also, and I mean that, it is, it's true, best place. But it also can be the hardest place to live. And we feel that, we see that, like, there's so much under the surface happening. And to be truly content with our life and where God has us right here can be really challenging here in Hawaii. Because if you guys aren't from here, or if you have friends that come and visit, or if you talk to people on the phone, once you start talking about something bad in your life, they're like, it's Hawaii. How could you be sad? How could you be bummed? Yeah, whatever. Aren't you at the beach all day anyway? It's like, no, no. Like, you could totally live here and not go to the beach for a long time if you're, you know, not aware of it. Right? We live in paradise, and so why, shouldn't we always be happy? This is, the, this is the, the, I mean, if you have any friends or family on the mainland or anywhere else, this is the real thing. But we have some real unique problems and unique difficulties here living on an island. Right? There's only so much you can go, and there's the prices of real estate and job opportunities and It's real hard. Yeah, it's paradise, but there's real, there's the same problems, if not more unique, different problems than anywhere else. And so this idea of contentment 
like deep, lasting joy and peace in life is something that is real, relevant, and relatable here. And this is what today's text not only touches on, but Paul is like bringing home this big theme of joy that he has the entire letter written about. This idea of contentment and lasting joy and lasting peace or in the midst of, of, of any circumstance. And what Paul does in these about 10 verses, chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, he comes to the main reasons of why he's writing. Like this section in the letter, even though it's towards the end, is an integral part of this letter. And he's reserved it for the end to give it prominence. Like he's driving home all that he said. He's talked about joy. He's talked about peace. He says, those combined is contentment. And there's a secret that I've learned in Christ that in any circumstance, in any situation, regardless of how much money you have, how much you don't, whether you have it or you don't, you can be content in Christ. And what our hopes are today, what my hope is, what the hope of today is, is to try to discover through Paul's testimony here, what may be this secret that he speaks of, right? How to be content anywhere at any time with whatever happens. It's like literally like the fountain of youth. This is the kind of thing we're talking about today, right? The secret of always being happy all the time. Regardless of what happens, you're like, yes, tell me, what is it? It's like this fountain of youth type thing that, that, that Paul's speaking about today. But before we get into what that may be, Paul first starts by expressing his thanks to the Philippian church. And, and it's in the form of a gift that this guy named Epaphroditus in chapter 2 we saw brought him. And so Paul, being in prison in Rome right now, he's had Timothy with him, Timothy with him and he's had this guy named Epaphroditus. And we see in verses 10 and 11, Paul communicates that he's... that. To the Philippian church, he's thanking them for their renewed concern for him by means of gift. And so Paul, right, he's in prison. Um, but what he's been doing up to this point is he's been doing ministry. He's been serving the Lord. He's been on his missionary journeys. And he's been leaving Israel. And he's been going to where the gospel has not yet been. And he's been preaching the gospel. And people have been getting saved. And he's been starting churches. And he's Paul the Apostle. He's, he's a pioneer. He's going for it. But Paul, for a lot of that, he's been bivocational. He's built tents along the way. But majority is he's been funded by churches or by Christians to live, like just to have money to sleep and to eat and to travel. And so what, what's happening here is that Paul is in prison. And like many primitive jails, he's got to pay to stay there. Like, he's got to pay for his own food and his lodging, and like, he's on house arrest in Rome, but he needs money and resources to do this. And so he's speaking to the Philippian church, and he's reminding them how thankful he is for Epaphroditus sending money. Like, just strictly being the church. Like, there's a need. Paul, our brother in Christ, is needed. Epaphroditus, Paul, like, let's go give him financial support. And what he's doing here is he's reminding them and thanking them that this support from the church has flourished again, right? That, that friends and family, the body of Christ have come to care for him and provide need for him. But then after he thanks them 
for this gift, after he communicates how he's just thankful for the body of Christ, he then shifts and he explains to the Philippian church and to us that there's a secret here that God can strengthen us to find contentment in any circumstance. And so from the text, I think there's two ways in which we can see that contentment comes. Number one, if you have notes, I have it on the PowerPoint. Number one is contentment, this, this sense of deep, lasting joy, comes through God's sovereignty in our lives. We're going to talk about that in a second. But contentment comes through God's sovereignty or God's control in our lives. Number two, Paul brings up, is that contentment comes from experiencing God's presence. That we're strengthened by God himself in our midst. So God's sovereignty, that, that word sovereignty means just absolute control. When we say God is sovereign, when we believe that and, and, and say that about God, we, we, we trust and believe that God is in control of everything. Like there's nothing outside of his sovereignty. There's nothing that he's like, oh, didn't know about that one. That got past me. There's everything is under God's sovereignty. Everything in the universe, every person for all time is under God's sovereignty. That's how big we believe our God is. And Paul is saying here that he's learned contentment. He's learned this idea of being content in all circumstances. And the reason why he says he's learned it is because it's not natural to mankind to have contentment. We can compare ourselves to this and say, yeah, a lot of times I get bummed out really easy. I'm really unhappy. I struggle with coveting and envying everything that I don't have, right? It happens all the time. You get that job and you're like, but I really want that one next. Like we never can find contentment. We're always like the hamster in the wheel spinning or once you get enough money, you want more. Once you get that house, you want another house. Like, and this is what Paul is turning, talking about. He's learned contentment and what he's done is he's learned it over time through trials. And he's experienced God's sovereignty and God's control through them all. And this idea of contentment, it isn't just something that Paul is here. It's not just a, a good thing that we want. It's actually something that the people of God should strive for. It's what we should, where we should want to be at. Even like Hebrews 13, 5 in context, is talking about money and, and the things you have and, and wealth. It says, be satisfied with what you have. There's this idea that God, everything God has given you is a gift. And right here and right now where you're at, it's exactly what you need and what you should have. And you should be happy and content with it. Just that, that deep sense of like, I'm good. I'm happy. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need to look and be like, oh, if I only had that, then I would be happy. This idea of contentment in Christ is something that God desires for all of us. And Paul, part of his testimony, the reason why in a Roman jail towards the end of his life he can say this is because he, over time, has experienced tremendous trials and tragedies and tribulations, and it's made the person that Paul is now full of joy. It's made him full of joy, and his life has not at all been good or been easy. 
Even right now, he's in a prison writing this, and he's about to be executed, or, or close to, shortly after he will. He will be martyred for his faith. But he can sit here and say, rejoice in all circumstances. I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm happy. I'm content. And for Paul, it was a lot of these really rough times that God allowed to shape him. And in the midst of all that, he saw God's faithfulness. That God was faithful to be with him and meet him in the valleys, in the low points. Let me just um, read you some of what Paul went through. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. Um, he's kind of disputing some false teachers here. And he communicates what he's experienced, uh, mostly the troubles that he's experienced following Christ. He says, I've worked harder. I've been put into prison more often, been whipped times without number. I've faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from the men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have, sh I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. No problem. That's ridiculous. That's like, I mean, that would be like the best biography there for sure. But right, like any one of those things would like take us, just crush us. But here's the deal. Paul has gone through that alongside his God. And his God has allowed Paul to, these things to happen to Paul. It's not happenstance. It's not coincidence. It's not just like, Paul, yeah, you've sailed into the storm. You shouldn't have done it. That's why you lost the boat. Like, God pushed the boat into that storm, and he made the storm in the first place. But he put Paul through these things so that he could show Paul his faithfulness. And the truth that all of us need to know is that God allows trials in all of our lives in order to equip and to strengthen us. There's a purpose in it. Even in the tragedies, even in the really difficult things, God is not absent. God is fully there. He is all present. He is all knowing. And there are bigger things at work in our lives. Over and over, we see this, that God uses trials to equip and strengthen us. Check out Romans 5, 3 through 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There's purpose. There's fruit from trials. James, one says the same thing in a different way. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Just stop there. That's ridiculous. That's, that's, this is the God math right here. This is not the way the world thinks. Verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, 
Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What James just said there is what Paul is saying right now. Do you see that? When you've gone through it, when you've been in the fire, but you've seen God and God's used it to strengthen you and grow you, what does it say it will do? Verse 4. You'll, be, you'll, you'll need nothing. What does Paul literally just say to the Philippians? I don't need anything. I'm content. He actually needs everything. <laughs> he doesn't have many clothes. He doesn't have much money. He's in prison. What we would say is, Paul, like, you're, you, you're the one in need. And even he like fights the gift of Epaphroditus. He's like, thanks for the gift. I'm stoked. I don't really need it, though, because I'm good. God's got me. He always has and he always will. And Paul's lived that out. The truth, of the truth of God said, I mean, Paul's testimony is a testimony of what we're talking about today. He's learned the secret of being content, and it's been through trials. And the truth is, is what trials and hard times can do is produce in us a character of contentment. This is because we see God continue to be faithful and true to us and his promises in good times and in bad times. And so and when we walk into trials, we can look back and be more content in Christ in the present because of what he's done for us in the past. And so Paul here in prison in Rome, he's like, I've been, in the, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've, I've been in prison before. My God has always come through. And so Paul can say this because God has had purpose in his life. And God also has purpose in our life, what we've been through and what we're going through. That is so hard to see when we're in it. That is so hard to like be okay with. I understand that. Because trial and tribulation and tragedy, like those are the hardest parts of life. But God, right, is bigger. He thinks of it as the big picture. He knows what he's doing. He's allowing the sickness or the financial hardship or the loss of job or the relational discomfort. He has purpose in those things. Everyone of us right now has a list of top three things that we wish weren't in our lives and they're tragedy or, you, you, we have them. God has purpose in them to grow us a character of contentment. Paul's saying, I've learned this. And number one has been through God's sovereignty, that he's been in control and with me. Number two, though, in verse 13 this morning, Paul brings up this idea that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, or I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's this idea here that in God's presence, when we're walking, when we're experiencing the presence of God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, whatever the circumstance, whatever high, whatever low, through God's presence, we can be strengthened. In this verse, I know many times we like to use it just as a blank check. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anything. Anything right now. Now, that's, this is what's true about that. It's true that nothing is too big, hard, and crazy that God can't get you through. It's just maybe that he's not, it's not his will that you have that Ferrari that you just looked at and said, I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me, so give me the keys. You know what I'm saying? Like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. It's not, 
Star Wars? I don't know. You don't know. Whatever. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not really, what I know is, okay. We have some Star, we have some Star Wars people here, so okay. <clears throat> anyway, anyway. Preach it. They just said preach it. Oh, nah, okay. So, <clears throat> but here's the deal. God, I'm not saying that's his will for you, but what this is promising is that God can be with you through anything. Nothing's too big or hard or crazy. But not only is God able to accomplish or get you through something, because that is God's promise. I'll be with you and there's nothing too big and nothing too crazy. That job, that hardship, the trial, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not a problem for me. That's what God's saying. And I'm willing to be there to strengthen you so that we can get through this thing. That's what God's saying. But not only is he saying that, but in context of the book of Philippians, he's saying that in context when it comes to peace and contentment also. So actually this promise that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is actually better than we might thought because this is what I mean. God is not only able to strengthen us to get us through or accomplish something, a super high or a super low time, but he also makes it so that we don't have to hate that and want to be done with it. Not just survival mode, but actually flourish and love and peace and joy and there can be life in the midst of a trial. Not only is like God like, yep, I'm going to drag you through this thing. Going to hate it the whole time. My, the strength is me dragging you. You hate it. But God says, I can do all things through, I can do, what it says is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it's in the context of peace and contentment. The promise is actually greater and it's better. God promises to not only do that, but also give us peace, joy, and contentment during the process, during the tragedy, during the trial, during when you don't have enough money in your bank account to pay the rent. God says, I not only can get you through this, but I can actually bring you contentment and joy in it. This is, this is incredible. And again, this is not always what we feel like, right? It's naturally okay to grieve and be sad. And I'm not saying just be happy. But we don't have to merely wallow or be drowning or just getting through during this time. God is able through his grace and power to bring about joy, peace, and even prolonged contentment during a trial, tragedy, or season of discomfort. That is incredible. Like, that is our God. That is not normal. That is not anything the world could offer. There is, that's not, that's just, you cannot do that. Money and time and people and stuff will not bring about this type of contentment. That's why Paul says it's the secret of contentment. And man, I'll be honest. <laughs> when I'm studying to teach this this week, I'm like really struggling with this. Because it's, it is, it's honestly like teaching about the fountain of youth. Or it's like the secret of contentment. You're like, what is that elusive thing that none of us have? How am I, God, supposed to teach on this when I feel like I need to tell me? Like, I need to be right there. Like, preach it. Like, what? T tell me what this secret is. And I don't know about you, but this week, God met me. It was awesome. But it was through this horrible thing called traffic. I don't know if God, I don't know, either you sin or you meet God in traffic. I don't know. There's two, there's only two ways you go. So I, I live in Kaneohe and 
normally it's a pretty good situation because I go over the poly. But if you know, poly is not really open right now. So sometimes it is, but honestly, it's created a whole mess on the windward side. Leaky leaky, yeah, you think, but everyone goes on the leaky leaky now. So that's horrible. So H3 is kind of good, but you know, what happens is, is it dumps all of us out in already what's happening on the H1. It's hard life. Now again, I'm, a light, I'm, I'm, I'm super lightweight. You guys that live in Eva and Capolet, well, don't, sorry. I'm like, I saw this plaque that like, I love you enough to drive the H1 West at 5 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that's a lot of love. I, I won't do much. I know that lots, a lot of your lives. I'm like, I'm a lightweight. God bless you. So the struggle is real for me the last two weeks. Driving to town a lot. So what's happening is, uh, so I'm driving. Leaky, leaky, cannot do. It's too, too long. Doing an H3, get to H1, uh, H201 over, you know, middle street merge. Horrible. I never experienced that. So again, I don't know about this that much. So I'm not, I'm, this is like Wednesday or something, and I'm think, I, there's traffic, so I'm thinking about the sermon, and man, I'm not finding contentment. There's not, there's no, that's not a word in traffic, right, where I'm at. So I'm passing, and uh, I think it's like almost to Lique Lique, you know, past Middle Street Merge, and I'm praying on this, like, God, what is this secret? What's the secret? And I look up to like the Mackay side of the freeway on a warehouse, and you guys have seen it, but there's a big banner that says Jesus. You guys seen this? It's like a white banner with a red Jesus. Like, it's campaign Jesus. And I'm like, oh, yeah, pastor, that's it, Jesus. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing in the car here? Why am I fretting? Because what happened was, is instead of like, oh, I'm late to this, or I'm bummed I'm in traffic, or like, whatever, um, I, I began, I saw, I saw the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden, I was caught up with dwelling on Jesus, because I wasn't before that. I was stressing out, I was bugged, annoyed, and it wasn't Jesus, but when I saw the sign, I began to think about the person of Jesus. I just began to dwell upon who he was, and how good he was, and his grace, and his mercy, and I was saved, and you know, and all of a sudden, this traffic became an opportunity to dwell upon the goodness of God. Could have been different. But God, in his grace, showed me, I believe, I mean, it's more obvious to you probably, but the secret is cultivating time in God's presence. It's Jesus. It's dwelling upon the person of Christ, on his attributes and his goodness, Instead of concentrating and get stuck in like our situation and our circumstance, it's being reminded of the big picture of who God is and his faithfulness. And right when you're in traffic, you're like, so you're just this. This is your world. And you're like meeting and like, this is wasting my day. How often we're not thinking about Jesus. Again, I'm a newbie to this traffic thing. So maybe you guys are thinking about Jesus all the time in traffic, but I'm not really doing it. But now I am, Okay. But to cultivate the presence of God, there's actually practices and there's things we can do to cultivate this, that which in turn will bring us joy, peace, and deep contentment in Christ. And these practices aren't supposed to just be religious things we do to check off a list. We fall into that trap. 
That's not what I'm talking about here. But they're, they're for a purpose, and the purpose is to fill our minds and our thoughts and our lives with God's truths, his promises, and his presence. So the practical ways in which we do this, like the number one thing we can do is pick up the word of God and read it and know it. And guys, there's so much power in like just reading it for yourself, not a podcast, not listening to me, not just a verse on an Instagram post. Those are things are good. But there's something about, and guys, I know the technology, you have it on your phone, your iPad, I know. Get a Bible, like a Bible, and read it, and dig into it, and, and learn and see for yourself who God is and what he has for you, and his promises that are everlasting, and he's unchangeable, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Like, this is what we have to fill our minds with. We have to do it. Well, guys, you know, we live in an age where you can morning to night, early to late, you can fill yourself with everything but God and his truths. Not even like meaning to. Just, just, I mean, I love it, but at the same time, I hate it. Phones, Instagram, Facebook. Any downtime, what do you do? Any down? What do you do? Bible. Go to Bible. Go to the Bible first. But there is something about meditating and dwelling and memorizing God's word that, that keeps our mind and the Holy Spirit reminds us of those truths when we need it so that we can cultivate contentment through the character of Christ. Not only that, but, but a, such a good practice is praying through God's word. Like opening up the book of Psalms and reading it and praying those things over our own lives. Waking up in the morning and praying, God, I want, to, I, want to, I want to have your joy and your peace today. God, free me from jumping to anger and stress and worry and anxiety and pleasing people. I want to know your love and your joy and your peace. How often do we start the day that way? I'm getting convicted just the same as you are, so I'm in the boat. But this is, what, this, this is the idea of, of finding the secret of contentment is. It's reading God's word. It's knowing God's word. It's praying through his word, and it's worshiping the God of the word. There's something so powerful when, when the church or even individually in that traffic, worshiping God in your home, at church, in community, is to worship the God of the Bible, our God. And the thing is, is those things, reading and praying and worshiping, they all require a dying to self. None of those things you naturally have time for, none of those things that you're naturally maybe wanting to do, because what they are is an acknowledgement that we need help. When we read God's word seeking to know him, when we pray asking for help, when we worship God, this is, this is an acknowledgement that we can't do things on our own, that we need help. And they were all these things, this, these practices require a dying to self. But here's the deal. When we, when we acknowledge that we need help, that we can't do it on our own, God's promise is that in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Like, we become strong when we admit weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Paul again to the, to the church in Corinth. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, speaking of God. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10, look at this. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul again uses this idea of contentment. I'm content through all these things. When we admit weakness is when God strengthens us. When we give up is when God is at work. And I want us to, to listen to this and hold on to this right now. God is most seen when we are most desperate for him. God is most seen. He's most prevalent. He's most, we're most aware of God. When we've given up, I say, I can't do it. I need you. God, I'm going to find you in my word. I want to pray. I want to worship. Like, I need you. God is most seen when we are most desperate for him. And contentment comes from knowing and experience the presence of God. That is, that, that, is the, that is the truth that Paul is speaking about here. If you're in this room and maybe you haven't given your life to Christ, you're not a Christian, you wouldn't say it, you don't go to church, like, I'm here. You may feel out of place, but you're not. You're, you're not. Jesus came to save and bring joy and life to all. That is his purpose. And to know him and experience contentment where our circumstances wouldn't lend to it. Jesus came to give life and that abundantly and so that we could find deep peace with God through his work upon the cross. That is why Jesus came. To on a very deep level make us at peace with God. To forgive our sins. To remove the things which separated us from God. The things that are breeding and growing discontentment, God wants to come and bring contentment and life and joy and peace through the cross. That is why Jesus dying on the cross is good news. Like before I came to know the Lord, I thought it was so weird that Christians and churches said, Jesus dying brutally on a cross is good news. That is not, what do you say? That, how is that good news? It's good news because it brings life to what was dead, hope to which was lost, and light where there was darkness. It brings deep contentment to a world that is utterly lost and depressed and weary and finding this hole that only God can fill. For those of us in here that we are believers, we're Christians, we go to church because this is, this is our God, we follow Christ, we're disciples. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we finding contentment like tomorrow morning? Monday morning. Hey, everybody, Monday morning. See all the memes on Instagram. Ah, Monday morning. <laughs> are we finding contentment on Monday morning? N probably not. But this is the idea. Like, God wants, God wants you to experience contentment in Christ when you have like 40 emails that you get to tomorrow and you're tired and you just want to be at the beach. This is really nice. God wants in your job, in the job you don't like, in the job you don't want, you haven't been promoted, you wish you weren't there. God desires to bring us deep joy in Christ there. Or how does contentment look when you're single? Like Joseph said, when you have a life. When you're married and kids, are you content in those places? So many times, right, you hear, I'm discontent that I'm not married and have kids when you're single. Or you're married and I'm discontent because I have no time anymore. I wish I was single. 
Never happy. Grass is always greener. It's not where we should be. It's not where God desires us to be. We shouldn't always be striving for the next and always wanting more or something different. God says, I have you where I have you. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Everything's for a purpose. I desire that in your moment, in your job, in your family, in your singleness or in your marriage or with your kids, I desire to bring deep contentment, deep peace and deep joy in the midst of that. And the list goes on, right? But the hope that we've seen today through Paul, and I believe that hope is for us, is that we can find and live out contentment in Christ in any and every circumstance. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you that you're a God that's bigger than our circumstances. And you desire against all. All that the world would tell us, you desire to bring us hope and joy and peace where we're at. In the midst of possibly really hard times, you are the God that is able to do that. So God, I pray that you would do that in our lives. Like, God, we want your presence. We want to dwell upon your name. We want to be reminded of your truths. Just as you sweetly reminded me on the freeway, seeing that Jesus sign, I pray that you do that for all of us, that we would be reminded of Christ, of your work upon the cross, of your grace that we don't deserve, of your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God of all comfort, you're the God of peace. Pray that we would experience those things in our lives and in our families, that we too would learn over time the secret of contentment in Christ.